grass. Welcome, good morning everybody. Welcome to Strictly Football. Today we have a very special episode. We're going to be introducing a guest that is a very special guest. You know, he's been bringing US soccer to a different country with our young talent and we are going to be asking him some questions. He's going to be introducing himself very soon. And we are very excited to have him here and explaining what it is that he does to improve the young talent in the U.S. So, everybody, give it up for Mark Dillon. Thank you very much, Sam. Nice to be here and uh, nice to to talk to people out in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. uh, Yeah, you graduated from USF as well, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. I spent a lot of time. Uh, my my first, uh, most of my first twenty six years of life were in the in the San Francisco area, and so uh, yeah, I went to USF and played at Concordia San Francisco in the Sons of Italy, and spent many a Sunday afternoon at uh, Balboa. Nice, nice. Uh, it, so it is that where because uh, I also graduated from USF too, so we also have that in common as well. So that's kind of cool. We're Don, we're Don uh, alumni. Um, mm-hmm. how, how, how did you begin uh, playing football? Because, you know, here in the United States, this sport is not necessarily the, it's not the, it's not the one that kids kind of gravitate towards, I, I feel like. But how, how did this begin for you? Well, I, I think I'm very fortunate to be a San Franciscan because, uh, you know, they've had a, a, a well-organized league out there based on all the, the different ethnic groups that have been out there. But they've been going since 1906. And I tell people that. And um, the, the only other place where, you know, it might be comparable, we just did a talent ID session in Long Island. We were talking to some of the people there. One of the, in fact, we were dealing with one of the oldest clubs in America. And there's very few places that can go back that deep into American history that far back and say, listen, we've had soccer here forever. And though, so, you know, yes, it was kind of a, even in San Francisco, a cosmopolitan area like that was uh, soccer was kind of an underground sport relative to the Niners and the Giants and the Warriors and so on and so forth. But, you know, there's a really robust, there's always been a robust soccer community there. And, you know, I started playing in the schools and then one day I was spotted by a German man who said, I want to take you out to training. I was 16 years old. Uh, was, he was associated with a, a club Concordia San Francisco, which was based on the, you know, the German American group that were living in the Bay area and they, they kind of brought me into the first team there and so on and so forth. So, uh, but I fell in love with the game right off the bat. It's, it's just a, it's the greatest game in the world. And it's, how do you not love that game? You know, I mean, so many nice people in it. It's, it's just, it's, it's so international and no matter who you meet all anywhere in the world, you come across people that really love the game and have their own view of the game. That makes it really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so out of that experience, is that where Talent Project kind of like, like begins? Because uh, you, it sounds to me like you've had a, you've had a deep uh, association with the game. Yeah. So you, you kind of immersed in it from a really young age. So is Talent Project come from that type of like thinking, like uh, the, the trying to have young people really fall in love with the game? Is that, is that where this comes from? This project, Talent Project? 
I think that that train of thought may have been formulated then, but it's not, that's not the genesis itself of the talent project. You know, I was the head coach of the Orlando Lions in a professional level in, in the United States. And being in Florida, you get um, a lot of clubs from Europe are looking for places to do their winter training program. And I started doing some work and hosting training camps and then end up doing scouting and things like that for Bayer Leverkusen. And that brought me a lot of relationships and into Germany, they started flying me over there and then they started using me for more and more of their stuff. So that really brought me into the Bundesliga. Um, You know, I was involved with bringing Landon Donovan into Germany at a young age and Bobby Wood and several others that probably less well known, but also had quite a bit of success. And um, so I got, I had a lot of firsthand experience at the difference between the way American players, young players were developing and the way they were developing at high levels in Europe. And, and there's, there's clearly a difference. There's clearly a difference in the intensity, the attention to detail, the level of competition and just the, the entire environment. And this is what our boys were missing. And so prior to t- 2009, if you saw a really talented American kid, you can get him into the system, into Europe. And then what happened was FIFA passed a, a law ostensibly designed to protect young African kids, but they just painted everybody with the same brush. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they restricted um, international transfers under the age of 18. And what that meant was that young American players were, and not just American players, but players from anywhere outside of their their um, economic jurisdiction, being whether they're African or whether they're South American or Central American or whatever, couldn't transfer no matter how good they were. If, if, if Leo Messi had been an American, he couldn't have gotten into the Barca system prior, after these laws were passed. And so, and what that meant was that, American kids, and I'm speaking strictly from the perspective of being an American and wanting the best for our kids, we were frozen out. We couldn't get into the system until it was really, by and large, too late and 18 years old. And you've missed a incredibly important development window that you can't get back. And when it's gone, it's gone. And uh, so you can't go back and retrace your steps and things like that. It doesn't mean they can't make it, but I don't think they can ever be the full potential of the player that they could have been if they had gotten into the system earlier. So with this FIFA rule in place, I was looking for a way to um, get young Americans into the system over there without getting into trouble and causing also problems for the clubs over there because the penalties are severe with FIFA. So I created a uh, study abroad program where I could get the players in under a student visa. And then around that, I constructed a a professional development academy with Bundesliga protocols, which player development wise is is the best in the world. And uh, there's so much attention to detail. So using a system like that, which the talent project was created under, I could get young Americans into Europe. I can get them learning the language. I can get them learning the culture. I could get them to um, understand the systems of play. I can get them in, uh, uh, ramped up into the daily training intensity, and we could play the best teams in Europe. Uh, they're friendly games, but at that level, there's no such thing as friendly games. So our guys mm-hmm. there, they're, we've, we've seen remarkable, remarkable transformation in young American kids when you give them the chance to, to, to live in that sort of environment. That, that's basically the genesis of how do we make young American players better? Let's give them something that they can't get at home. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So that's a lot. But y'all have y'all have questions? Yeah, uh, Mark, um, I had a question. So um, going back to the whole thing that you were explaining about FIFA and putting mm-hmm. that rule, I remember um, reading about it in, in the news articles um, a while, while back that the MLS had finally opened transfers to the Bundesliga. But the, does that mean that the MLS is not allowed to transfer um, their players or sell players to certain leagues in Europe? No, no, I didn't mean that at all. I, I'm not sure what that, that was, to be honest. Um, but it does mean, I mean, there's no exceptions to the rule. Under the age of 18, we cannot transfer a player from one country to the other. Now, this also goes for American teams wanting to transfer players under the age of 18. And that this has never been enforced in the past, but it is now. So now if you see uh, MLS Next Academies, or former was formerly the DA, trying to bring in players from uh, from another country, they, they can't do it. They can't register them. Got it. So, or, or if they do, they slip through the cracks, but the penalties can be quite serious if they get caught doing it. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real, you know, it's totally unfair. There's no justification for it. There's ways of mitigating the reasons for uh, installing a protection of minors rule. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against the, the, the concept of that. Um, this was this was designed so that because you, you had a lot of very unscrupulous people and, and there are a lot of unscrupulous people in the game, let's face it, mm-hmm. um, who would bring in young kids into Europe. And if they didn't make it, they just cast them out on the streets. And, and this is like this is not like one or two cases. This was hundreds or even thousands of cases of kids that are living on the streets of Europe who were, were uh, basically abandoned because they couldn't make it as a professional football. So I, I agree with the rule, but uh, on the other hand, you know, it's a universal game and to say nobody can transfer who potentially could have genius potential can't develop that genius potential because of rules that have nothing to do with them. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, Barca has been stung by it. Real Madrid has been stung by it. Chelsea has been stung by it. a lot of clubs have been hit really hard. And so no one's going to take any chances on this law. We just have to hope they see some sense and change it. But in the meantime, we got to find ways of getting our kids up to higher levels. Hey, Mark, question. Um, is, that, is that why we're seeing now uh, these new agreements between clubs? I know there's agreement between FC Dallas and um, Bayern uh, by, uh, by Munich. Um, is, is that one reason why uh, they're doing this or – well, they, they, they can't take players before 18. Now, FC Dallas, what they do is they bring in players for a couple-week training camp or they look at them. And they look at our players, too, by the way. I mean, we just because you can't sign a professional contract doesn't mean you can't go in and trial. So we've had uh, 18 of our boys in the last um, three months get invited to professional teams in Europe to test. And if they're under 18 – they can trial them, but they uh, they can't sign them, but they can say, let's develop a relationship. Let's come back. Let's play a friendly game with us. Come back every month and start to develop an understanding about our club, our culture, know the coaches, know the your team, potential teammates. And this happens all the time, but you just cannot sign the contract unless you have a – in the case of an American boy going into Europe, there's, a, there's a quite a few of us that have – of our boys that have also have dual passports. So if they have a passport for Italy or for uh, Spain or France or something like that, then at 16, that rule – that rules come down to 16. So at 16, they can sign a contract. It's a European Union passport. Okay. 
Yeah, there, there, there's someone I was asking because uh, so I follow a lot of uh, Mexican soccer and they recently released uh, Chivas, which is one of the most popular teams in Mexico. Um, they have an agreement with uh, PSV um, in the sense of just a training, you know, having friendly matches, also developing players um, because Chivas only only uses Mexican players, Mexican based players mm-hmm. in order to compete. Um, so they can uh, bring players from overseas, but they could bring players that are developing in other lands that are Mexican and play for, for Chivas. So I just, I just wonder because um, um, I see a lot of disagreements nowadays uh, between clubs from Europe and, you know, MLS, uh, you know, Liga MX. Um, so just, it's, it's, um, I'm wondering if that's like, maybe like, like, a, like a bridge, maybe, you know? Ooh. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it, it definitely could be, Manuel. Um, you know, one of our boys actually went from Germany into New Mexico, Santos Laguna, because he had a um, he had a um, Mexican passport also. And a couple of our other players also with dual passports have, have trial with Mexican clubs. So, you know, that's an interesting question you bring up because the United States and Mexico have the same economic zone. So there may be a, there may be some gray area there. So I'm, I'm not positive how that one works. I'm yeah. really only dealing between transfers between North America and Europe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think because uh, we, we were talking about this the other day about, because, you know, we talk about mostly CONCACAF things in the podcast. And one of the things that came up was Mexico's, it's almost like a reluctancy to let go of their players to go to Europe. But it also sounds like the United States is also kind of in this weird, like, it's almost like I don't want to say that the United States is in denial, but it feels like there's a lack of acceptance that we don't have the adequate resources here to actually develop the players to the level that we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering, because it almost feels like you're naming the elephant in the room with this project, right? Which is that we don't have the things here. I'm sorry. Your kid can love FIFA. Your kid can love playing soccer, but we don't have them. We don't have the level right now to develop them to become really great. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you get ever, do you ever like getting like, uh, like, I don't want to say the pushback, but is there like a level of like animosity there with, because of this project that you're doing? <laughs> you know, you know, because you, you're essentially, you're essentially saying that the United States doesn't have what it had, like what it's needed. You know what? We got a lot of smart people in our country, and I don't think I, this, this. And this is a discussion I have actually on the German side as well, uh, or the European side, because I also worked in the Netherlands. But um, we're getting better. We're getting a lot better. We got a lot of smart people, and we're learning from. You know, we're smart enough to learn from people that are doing better. But you're right. We're about ten years. I think we're a generation behind where the Europeans are, we're making big investments in the game and we're bringing over people and bringing over things like double pass to question our methodologies and our organization and and ways that we're administrating uh, young player programs. This is all really, really helpful. It's challenging. And and there, there is, I think you brought, you, you, you uh, brought up the word, I think arrogance. And I I think in, in many senses, there are arrogant, people here that say, okay, well, we, we give him everything he needs to become the best player possible. They think they are. They, I think they truly believe that, but they're not. Truth is they're not. And anytime you speak to a player who has an opportunity 
that's good enough to get into a system there and sample it even for a week. He's coming back and said, are you kidding me? There's, you're trying to compare that with this. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't work. It's so much, the game is faster. It's much more precise. The demands are much higher. And the level of professionalism starting at a really early age has to sink in or you don't survive. And we don't have that. And I, I think my, my opinion, and of course, this is just my opinion, but I've had my, my, my hands on both sides of the Atlantic for almost four decades now. And I can tell you that I think that in about 10 to 12 years, but by the time our U7, UA generation becomes U19, we could be comparable to Europe, hmm. but we're not there now. We're not going to, I mean, in terms of how we develop young players. Okay. And I think mm-hmm. that we've still got a way. MLS is getting better. We're starting to see much better minor leagues appear. And I think the barometer of a, of a really good football nation is not on, not based on who the top level players are or the top teams are. It's how good are the average level players, the mm-hmm. mid-level players. And when the mid-level players are playing at a high level relative to, to where they were, that means that floats everything up. And mm-hmm. that means that the, the guys at the top have by just by necessity have got to be really, really good. So we're getting there. We're not there yet though. That's good. Um, Mark, I had another question. So going to the, the kids you have right now out in Germany, um, are you guys like preparing, are you guys just, going to be staying in Germany or are you guys thinking of expanding it a little bit more? Uh, that's an interesting question, Sam. Um, you know, we, we have been invited to, you know, we've Croatian club has said, you know, why don't you establish a, a program there? Because there's so many uh, kids in North America with Balkan heritage. You know, we, we, we don't have the bandwidth to expand. We've had opportunities to possibly move into Spain. We've talked about potentially somewhere in a CONCACAF uh, country where that might also be possible. Right now, <laughs> we've got our hands full <laughs> in Germany. And, you know, we've expanded from um, one age group at under 16 to now three age groups. And, uh, you know, we had 20 players when we kicked this thing off in 2019. And now now we're, we're actually recruiting for our fourth generation with three teams. That'll be 55 players. And that means we have a bigger staff, a bigger organization, and we have a, a lot more needs of, you know, our medical staff and the training staff and facilities and everything else has to expand according with that. So we've, we've really got our hands full, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, the talent project is, uh, is an organism in itself and it's continually evolving. And we we're very open-minded to um, things that we can do better. And we're, we're always open-minded to opportunities to expand and see if it's some, if it's, if it makes sense to us and it's something that's going to make our players better, then we're, we're open to opportunities. Nice. So, so, and then, um, you know, you said you had a U16 team, right? Mm-hmm. With those kids, is it challenging, more challenging? I mean, you know, they're still at a young age. Do they ever, you know, when they move to Germany, do they ever get that feeling where they're like, I want to go back home? You know, they miss their family, um, they, that, that kind of stuff, you know? I think you're bringing up a really good point. Yes, I mean, it's, it's natural. It doesn't matter whether we're La Masia in Barcelona or at the Bayern Munich Academy or anything else, anytime, or just a boarding school. 
just a, you know, a boarding school where kids go away. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, players, the level of uh, Leo Messi or uh, Andre Iniesta, for example, who are desperately homesick when they had to move in. And um, you, you had it at a club like uh, Bartha, you have um, really, really good people that knew how to manage young people. And I'll, and I'll tell you something about it. So this is kind of an anecdotal story, that, it, but it's relative to what the point you're making. Andre Iniesta is arguably one of the greatest midfielders ever, and he was one of the one of the, the key playmakers for that fantastic Barca uh, team that emerged with Pep Guardiola and Messi and uh, Hernandez and so on and so forth. But that generation from 2007 to 2012, and undoubtedly he was one of the best players in the world. But when he arrived as a 13 year old into Barca, he was so sick he could barely eat for three for three months, and all he wanted to do was go home. And they, the, the credit to the coaching staff at FC Barcelona, who said to the coaches there that were managing him, do not try to improve this kid. Do not coach him. All I want you to do, all you have to do is just take care of him. Just take care of him and let him know he's taken care of and he's going to be fine. Now, if they didn't take that, if they came in and they were trying to force uh, protocols and everything on this kid, they would have lost him and football would have lost one of its greatest players. But this is, this is all about, this is where the art of young person development, young player development comes in. It's really super important because it's so much more important than just coaching or understanding the game. You're dealing with young people who are malleable. They're, they're, um, you know, they're like clay and you can make something beautiful out of it, or you can make trash out of it. And it could be the same lump of clay. So how you handle them is really, really important. So, you know, your, your point, Sam, was really good. We do deal with homesick issues sometimes, but we also have strategies to help them get through that. And, and we, we also tell our players, and, and any good organization will tell their players, that um, you have to get out of your comfort zone if you really want to get better. If you want to stay safe, stay home. Maybe you can have a nice average life and, and you know, you're around your friends and you have all these things and you don't have to sweat and, you know, you get your game on the weekend and, and you're around your buddies and everything else like that. But you'll never, you'll never reach your highest potential that way. And it doesn't matter if it's just football. Nobody exceeds in life, succeeds in life by staying safe and staying comfortable. So we, the players know this. I mean, we, we were only recruit really smart guys. And so they can get that message even when they're suffering a little bit. And they, they go through maybe a period of they're missing the dog, they're missing their family, their parents, their friends, the, the junior prom, whatever, whatever it is. These are all very normal. Um, but they also, when you have strategies and you have team building and you have people helping them along and understand that these are young people, you can get through that. And that's, this is what differentiates between a really, really good organization and one that's really average. It's, it's, it's very interesting that, uh, that you talk about how, um, cause I, well, my, you know, my expertise, uh, rely on them and the uh, league I make in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And do you have this? this constant problem with, with clubs that they never want to send their, their best players or their, you know, or their uh, prospers to overseas. And when they send them, it's too late. They're over 22, 24 years old and they failed. And we've seen a lot of cases of Mexican players that go to, to Europe. They're, they're the hot shot in Mexico and they come back defeated. Um, so it's very inter- it's interesting uh, that, that you bring that up. I, I have a question for you, Mark. Um, 
given the situation that we're currently in right now with COVID and everything, how has COVID affected your program in, over the past? Uh, it's affected everybody's program. You know, there was a, a period of about three months where we were pretty much landlocked. We couldn't play any games. And uh, so we were training twice a day. We could go through all the player development protocols, but it was hard. And, and as on the other sense, there was a beauty to it as well because it, it forced the players to rely on each other. Because we were on a campus there, uh, you know, in in Bavaria, you know, south of Munich, and the guys had to had to bond and they had to work with each other. They had to support each other through that. So, and then we worked on things that maybe maybe if we had the pressure of a schedule of trying to prepare for matches, we wouldn't be able to do. So we could spend more time on technical development and and and, and ironing out technical weaknesses and and team building exercises and, and also getting stronger stronger and getting more physically fit, which is also really, really important to uh, when you're particularly when you're playing in Europe. But, but, you know, but uh, uh, Manuel, you brought up a really good point. Uh, and, and it's not just uh, when you talk about Mexican players who go into Europe and, and, uh, and they don't succeed or really top American players who go into Europe and don't succeed. And this is, this is really, really normal because um, for every top-level player that succeeds, there's going to be 20 or 30 that you've never heard about that were really, really good. A, a top kid from, from Mexico or the United States doesn't all of a sudden become a bad player when they cross the Atlantic. But there are factors that are involved that have to be taken into account, and, 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 and this, this really gets overlooked. These kids are away from home. They have different weather. They have different food. They have different systems of play. They, the game is definitely much faster. Um, and there's different demands on them. And then they're, they have dealing with issues of loneliness, loneliness, uh, lack of communication with people. And, um, and these, are, these are things that are talent killers. And, and we see this with American kids all the time. Um, if they can't, if they don't have people to help them adjust, uh, it, it doesn't matter. They could be coming from uh, Nigeria also or from uh, Argentina. Or, it doesn't matter because the, the bottom line is we're dealing with people. And a person could be a super talented football player, but he doesn't have the support of the person that's inside that football player to help to bring them out and help get them through that adjustment period that they absolutely need. And if they don't get that, yes, they go back home and they say, what a great player he was, but he failed in Europe. And um, that's that's that has to be taken into account. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you you bring up uh, like the youth development piece that I think sometimes gets. Over. I mean, it, it, I mean, the reality of it is that it does get overlooked here. I think because I, I, I mean, it makes me really think about the leagues here in the United States. Like, you know, so many times we have like the big. There's such a big like industry around the destruction of players, like professional athletes. So like, and a lot of that has to do with this like youth development piece that we don't necessarily really train our professional athletes to really engage at a professional level that leads them to get to get into trouble. So it's really, it's really cool for me to hear. Cause I'm, I was also, I'm also a teacher. So I'm also in this, in other section of it where like I see young people and the way that they act and I'm like, wow, I can't imagine you being overseas right now even though you're a really good soccer player, I can't imagine you being over there and acting this way. If that makes any sense. Oh, and like, there needs to be, there needs to be like a sense of like holding and like, and, and you, you brought up this, this, uh, I, I think you called it, um, 
what did you call it? You called it, uh, you know, you said, you know, professional development of the players. Like, how, how do you do that with the young players? Like, how, how, how what are, what are some of those strategies to, to take care? Like, to me, it sounds like you really need to take, like, really care for these players that are away from home. Well, you do. You have to. Again, you're getting, you're, they're people. And yeah. you, know, you could have, you could be the most talented player in the world, but if you didn't have people taking care of Messi or, or uh, in the est- and I can give you, I can give you hundreds and hundreds of, of, of case histories of players that, that uh, on both sides successful that were really successful because people took care of them. But there's also some real crash and burn situations where massive, massive talent got completely derailed by people that didn't know how to manage the person that was trying to trying to succeed in football. Mm-hmm. So this stuff happens all the time, and. Um, um, it really separates the really good programs from, from the weaker ones. Um, it's, a, it's an art, it's a science. It's, it's probably an exact, uh, inexact, art, uh, inexact art, but an exact science. Mm-hmm. And if that makes sense. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, there are organizations that are really, really good at it. And I had the, the privilege of working together with, uh, with IX Amsterdam for three years. And they are the absolute gold standard of, of oh, yeah. their development in the world. Everyone says, I mean, nobody will argue that point. I mean, they produce yeah. more international class uh, talent than any single organization in the world by far. Uh, their, their, their mantra is attention to detail, but this also, it's also by necessity because Ajax, the Dutch league is a small league. And, and because it's a small league, you don't have the, te- the, the amount of television revenues. You don't have the amount of, of commercial revenue. So the, the, the paycheck for the players reflect the smaller league. Ajax knows that. These are really smart guys. And they said, okay, yeah. what can we do to compensate for that? We can't hold on to our best players. So let's be the best in the world at developing these players. We'll get them into the first team. We'll create world stars. And then – into the transfer market they go and that creates a bigger revenue stream for us than ticket sales or TV revenue. In the meantime, they've already developed the next star. This one goes out, the next star comes in and the next star comes in after him and goes in, you know, they've, they've made about three quarters of a billion dollars on the sale of their young player. This is their strategy. And there's organizations around Europe, throughout Europe, that have the basically the same. Espanol Barcelona is another uh, great example. Carl Alexander in, in England. Um, there, there are clubs all over Europe that say, we can't compete with these guys. We cannot compete, and we're going to lose our best players. So let's get really, really good at finding young players, being the best we can possibly be at developing these young players and creating stars out of them, raising them well, and then – be happy when they move on and then we'll receive the financial rewards for that come from the transfers. So there, there's an entire industry around this. Mm-hmm. Mark, so I have another question. So the, the thing with you guys, I mean, it sounds like it's, 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 this program is very up there and these kids must be really excited to be playing for you. I mean, it sounds like the dream of a kid. So I mean, for you, how hard is it to, you know, pick and choose, you know, your kids when you go around and scout, you know, like, do you even have to go through that heartbreaking where you tell a kid like, hey, your space has been taken by somebody else? Do you ever have to get through that? Yeah, we do go through that, Sam. And and that's the hardest part when you have to disappoint somebody. 
you know, but you have to set the bar really high and not everybody can get to that. But, uh, but you're, you're bringing up a really important point because um, we have a concept that we call whispering talent and whispering talent. It basically describes a, seeing a player out there that, y- you know, he's got something, he may not be the best player that you're looking at on in a game or a, at a scouting session or something like that, but you see something extra. There's something about this kid that just needs a little bit of nurturing and you can bring it out. And so, uh, so, so as we're looking for players and, and we're scouting an entire continent, the United States is not a country it's a continent when it comes to finding stars and they, they're everywhere now they're they're everywhere uh and so you see some of these guys and you think hmm, you know there's some you know he's not he's not really he's not the best player in this area he's just somewhere maybe in the higher middle of that thing but then all of a sudden you see them get into an environment where everything has changed everything has changed and now they're training twice a day and they're learning things that they never understood about the game before it's faster and their body's growing and their body's developing. And meanwhile, they're natural intelligence and they're really hungry. And that's probably the most determining factor we have in our selection processes. We value hunger. These kids are hungry and they want to get in, they want to learn. And, and I'll go, I can go deeper into that in a moment, but I can tell you a lot of times you see these kids that are really, really hungry and they want to play and they love to play and you teach them something and they absorb it and they get better and they're training and they're always there and then they just explode after a few months they explode and all of a sudden they've transformed you know it's like it's going from uh like going from a moth to a butterfly or a caterpillar to a butterfly they just they're not the same kid and this is this is where the art of talent identification and scouting comes in it's not always the best player it's the one that are right that's great i love it and do you um quickly like do you guys just um you know as soon as you see somebody that's just like out the charts for you do you guys make a move and try to just offer him somewhere or do you try to keep him as much as you can no oh, no we never try to keep our players we we our, our goal is to be a um a development platform and when they're ready to move on we move them on we, we, we would never hold on to a kid. And we've got, you know, as I said, and we, we kind of defied all the expectations because, you know, um, uh, Ariel alluded to it earlier on in one of his questions that do we have friction with some of the organization in the country? And, and, and absolutely. And there's a lot of people that were just dying to see us fail. And we're bringing them in. Oh, you know, we give them everything they want. And why you got to go to Germany? Why, blah, 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 blah. why are you doing all this shit? Okay. Um, and then when we bring in these kids, somewhat wet behind the ears, American kids into the German system. And we're playing Schalke. And we're playing Bayern Munich. We're playing Borussia Mönchengladbach. We're playing Bayer Leverkusen. And we're playing the top Dutch teams and so on. 50% of our roster were scouted by top level scouts who said, I really like your boy. Would you please send him in for trials? with us and from that group six went pro now this is success this is the success that absolutely defies all expectations okay and this is exactly what we're about so now every time we have a new generation of players now as i said we have 18 already our current group already been scouted have already been to pro trials and and that's out of 41 and that's an unbelievable number for us and so our goal we find them, we help develop them, we help them to move, and that's that's our mission. The talent project, that's what we do. We find young American talent, and we give them an opportunity to succeed. Go ahead. Now, what, can, you, uh, can you imagine, like, if we take the Salvadorian, like, 
team, national team, and we take it to develop, you guys will make it to the to the World Cup. Like something is, you know, we're talking about a dream here, guys. So, you know, just have fun. You start it out there. Oh, it's because we're two we're two Salvadorians. We just need a, we just need eleven good players, and uh, you could change the world. <laughs> I hope we can find 11 in the United States out of 20 something, something million. <laughs> you know, Mark, we, we, uh, we really talk about, we just had the CONCACAF qualifiers and um, we had our big hopes for uh, Salvador to qualify mm-hmm. for the, for the World Cup, but um, sadly uh, those dreams crash um, <laughs> these past few weeks. Huh? Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, uh, we, we always talk about how there's so many uh, dual citizenships here in this country. Yeah. Um, and, and this, and this is, this is why I love uh, United States because you have a bunch of different cultures, different people that could represent so many different cultures. Right. And I always tell my, my colleagues here, why not have the Salvadorian, uh, you know, national like uh, soccer organization, just, create these kind of programs here in the United States where you could, you know, take kids that have those dual citizenships and develop programs like this. So that way, you know, you have better players and better competition for uh, doing, doing the, you know, just, just better football, you know? I think it'd be a tremendous idea. You know, China attempted to do that. India tried to do that in Europe. And unfortunately they didn't have the, they didn't have the organizational administrative skills in order to pull it off. And uh, so they kind of crashed and burned on it, but the concept works. And I, I totally agree with you that, and, I, and I've heard people talk about that when you uh, trying to do something like that with Costa Rican uh, young players. And most certainly throughout the, the CONCACAF region, if you talk about going from Mexico all the way down to Colombia, and then of course, obviously going further South, but there's a lot of talent. There is a lot of talent, and I think that if you had someone in place that could identify ones that had the right profile and you had the financial support to make it work, then you can recruit them, you could educate them. And and not only could you create the stars of the future, but you could also give the kids better lives. You know, you can give them a better future through education and and, and development and developing themselves as a human being, and they come back and make a better contribution. So. I think that's a, it'd be a very exciting project for somebody that, that, uh, that was uh, inclined to, to take that risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a big risk. It's a big ask, you know, to make that big decision at such a young age and the families and, and I'm sure families are probably super reluctant to let go of their boys, maybe their babies in many, in many cases. And I think it's a, uh, yeah, it's a big, it's a big jump. You know, I think uh, what you're asking families to do is really, believe in the project. I think the players have to believe it. I think something that kind of sticks out of what you said was like, there needs to be like a deep, like wanting this, like you really want, you really need to like want this. And if you don't want it, then you probably shouldn't, shouldn't go for it. Um, and you know, it, it's, it, it seems like it's a really, like even in China, the examples you gave of India and all this, like the structures need to be put in place and like, you really need to believe in them, you know, for them to work. And um, so it, it sounds like a really cool project, what you're doing. Um, the question that I have, too, is like, what, like, are you covering, like, the financial piece of it for the players? Like, the players that, like, let's say you pick a player from here, uh, from San Francisco, uh, do they themselves fund the, like, the going over there? Or is that something that once you get selected, you are 
you're you're one of ours and you're you're we're just going to bring you on no i think that's a really good question a very fair question um no, the families have to fund their their own expenses for going over there. We we just can't do it. We don't. You know, we the only the, the tuition cost for being with us is only what it costs the the actual cost of the program, and mm-hmm. we don't make any money. And uh, and what we're doing is we're until we once we find a star, once we find Arena or Pulisic, <laughs> and it goes yeah. on. <laughs> as, as we help them create success and financial financial rewards come in, which we sh- would certainly have a right to share in, then then we have a pool of resources to say, okay, then we can take care of all the kids that come in. But in the meantime, this has to be funded by the family. Hmm. So so how do you how do you deal with the uh, I guess the question then is is like if if it's like a poor kid like with like a hard financial hardship, but they are super talented and they and they want it too but they don't have the necessary funds. How do you, how do you make that balance? Or is it just kids that come from like wealthier backgrounds that can afford this big trip and are talented that are the ones that get to go on the project? How do you make that like distinction or how do you, how do you make that balance? Well, uh, you know, first of all, if you find a super talent, I mean, that's genuinely a super talent, then we'll find a way to do it. You know, but there, there, you know, there are real costs associated with. We got private school. We got to feed them for eleven months. We got to transport them. You know, we got to pay the the coaching staff, the medical staff, all the transporting to games, all that. There's real dollars, and, and people talk about pay. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as not pay to play. Mm-hmm. Everybody pays to play. It's just a question of who pays. Yeah. And so, you know, you got a situation. I was having a conversation, interestingly, with an MLS president. And I won't name the club, but uh, he was just lamenting the fact that that his club was paying two million a year to support their academy operations, which he wasn't even doing that good a job, uh, to be honest with you. And and he was asking, why am I, you know, my guys, why am I just spending two million a year to develop <laughs> the colleges? Because that's all they were doing. All the yeah. kids were coming through, and they're just going off to the college, and, and so it became a nice philanthropic project. But there was really no. <laughs> mission involved with trying to do that. And so becomes, you know, when you have people that, you know, I mean, there's, listen, there's, there's oceans of money floating out there. So far I haven't gotten, (laughs) I just said, let's help some of these poor kids. And so we have to get sometimes very, very creative when it comes to how do we get a kid like this into the program? Mm -hmm. So, but we do our best and, you know, we've had a lot of success. You know, we've had kids that come from probably uh, we would consider economic privilege mm-hmm. who are equally hungry and they work hard and they're very polite and they do all the work. And we've had other families that say, we'll find a way to do it and we'll get them in. And, um, you know, sometimes they have to make sacrifices. Sometimes they get grandparents involved and things like that, but there's always a way to fund a, a special talent. Yeah. Mark, it's been a great conversation and I got another question. So, all right. Um, you know, for, for the, the kids out there that that are going to be listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. do you have any, um, tips on, you know, because I feel like sometimes the, the kids out here, they don't, they don't necessarily know what to do. You know, they might have the talent, but they don't know where to go or what to do and, and, you know, how to get up to the next level. You know, I feel like there's a lot of like, places here that promise you things like, Hey, um, if you come to our club, you know, we'll do this and this for you. And, you know, it never happens. And, you know, they, they just fill these kids with illusions of being somebody and it just never happens. 
you know, and then since you're already there, you know, um, what, what would be your, your tips to? Well, uh, first of all, I, I have a real problem with anybody that makes promises to young people that they're, they're going to get them to, to levels. Uh, we, we, we would never do that because it's not fair. And it's a lie. Anyone that's telling you that's a lie, you come to us and we're going to take you to for a love. It's, it's bullshit. Uh, and they would say the same thing at IX and they would say the same thing at Bayern Munich. They would say, we'll give you the best possible education. If you're really, really good, then your performances will decide for you, but we won't do, decide for you. So um, one of the things that we do with our, with our young people when, while we're selecting them is that we, we want to make sure they understand their why. Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to play football? Why do you want to give up the comfort? Why, you know, what is driving you to do that? And to help, help understand that, that's, that's a really, really important question because you don't want bullshit from the kids. You know, you want them to say, I am, am, I'm on fire. You know, you want the kid to say, I am on fire. Prospect of a game, training session, I'm on fire. I want to do this. And that's where you're going to find players that can, that can, will, you know, I, I think sometimes when you have kids that are really, really hungry like that, the opportunities find them. And so there, there's not all these, there's a lot of, 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 of uh, you know, boarding school type pathways and all these other things come to me and I'll take you to the golden mountain. Um, but when players are really, really good and they're really dedicated and they're there, they're showing up every week, they're showing up at training, they're showing up at their games, they're consistent. Often it's, it's not them looking, it's this opportunities looking for them. And so I think that's a really, really important point that, that, uh, and sometimes you have to have luck and we we'll also tell our players, look, you can be the most talented kid in the world. You can have all the resources in the world. If you don't get luck, you're going to make it. <laughs> and the harder you work, the luckier you get. And so, um, I think that's also a very, very important point. They have to be, they have to show up. They have to be willing to work and, you know, sometimes the opportunities find them. Great. Go ahead, Adia. Yeah, um, you know it's been it's been such a, a fun conversation. Uh, Lalita, you got any questions for for Mark? Uh, just just uh, just a statement. Um, you know, uh, Cruz Azul FC is one of the greatest teams in in Mexico. Um, oh, I just wish how if you could like I don't know if you know about Cruz Azul, Mark. It's a, it's a top club in Mexico. Yeah, uh, yeah they have uh, many championships. Uh, you know. Anyway, I just could you? I mean, can you imagine if we develop a program in? to to just bring players would be like a unstoppable maquinita just going through the whole league you know, you know so. get a lot of incorporation of european methods in their young player development that they brought in and and you know, unfortunately there was some lot of a lot of economic strength in the mexican league and so they were able to to bring in new programs in but i think mexico is doing a fantastic job developing young players yeah uh, you know, they're, you know, they, and they can make a really good living playing in the domestic league. But I think that what's really interesting in my view is that MLS and, and uh, the Mexican league is starting to kind of, you're starting to see a real transfer of, of power between the two back and forth and a cooperation between the organizations, because we have a lot in common right. in, in continent. And so it's, I think it's an exciting time to be around CONCACAF. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the United States is kind of finally realizing that they can't do it by themselves. I think that yeah. that's what I think that that is the key here is that they're understanding that there needs to be a little bit of humility here, right? Of like we don't know how to do this yet, 
but we can learn, you know, and I think that that is kind of what we're seeing. Um, and it's really cool. Um, so as the last question, I kind of want to ask you kind of just a little bit of a fun question, maybe apart from this is like, you said we're one, maybe one generation out from having a, you know, a solid thing. How far away do you think we are from winning the world cup? <laughs> are you, are you, you got any money on the table on this question? <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping it's soon. Please, you know? Enlighten us so that, so, so, that we can, so that we can bet on the right number. We are we are hosting in 2026. I think what's going to happen between the time of now, today, and 2026 is going to be an enormous, enormous investment and youth development, player development, league development, uh, infrastructure, facilities, and so on and so forth. And we have, and I'm speaking from an American standpoint, but I know that Mexico also is thinking along the same lines. You know, we're thinking five years out now, and um, we got a really, really good generation. Ironically, all of our best young players, most of them are in Europe now, and they're not even near their peak and so right about 2026, you're going to see a lot of guys like um, like Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent. Uh, I can go on and on. There's a lot of players. There's about 80 American players in Germany right now. And there's a lot of guys that are going to be reaching their athletic peak. So playing at home, ooh, I could definitely see a, a uh, CONCACAF country getting to the Final Four. And maybe maybe we'll surprise them. You know, maybe it'll be USA against Mexico in the final. <laughs> Hearing it here first. The US in the twenty twenty six. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's been a it's been an honor and a, a privilege to have you on. I think you're uh you have a really cool project. Uh, you want this time to just plug in. How do people reach you? How can people find your pro- your project? Uh, and then we'll close it out after that. We got uh, we're, our website is active. We keep it updated. Uh, it's Talent Project, and that's with a German spelling. That's Talent P R O J E K T dot com. Mm-hmm. And we keep updated on talent ID sessions and what we're doing and what our players are doing. Our Instagram site, Facebook site are, are constantly being uh, updated and in, in, in information about players. But people interested in learning more about it to go to our website, talentproject.com, and uh, they can they can see how to contact us. And we're very responsive to when people reach out to us. And so. Yeah. Love to hear from people. We love to hear, love to hear from someone who says, I got a great player. I just came across a great player and anywhere in USA, we love to hear from you about it because it's, you know, having people giving us tips or someone's interested in information for their son, by all means, contact us. You know, we're always looking for good players. That's cool. Thank you. Sounds like a really cool opportunity. A really cool project. Thank you, Mr. Dylan. Appreciate you. Uh, and now we'll close out for today's episode. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great one. Recording.